the Gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. You've all seen greatest hits lists. And none of them are entirely the same, but there are always some things that are on everybody's list. If it's greatest classic rock, for example, 
Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven and the Eagles Hotel California are on everybody's list. And if it's greatest classic classical, Beethoven's Ninth and Bach's, well, take your pick, are on everybody's list. Our text for today is on everybody's list of Jesus' greatest hits. It's commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son, although that is not a name Jesus gave it or a word Jesus used in it. He told it untitled. The word prodigal, which means wastefully extravagant, was added to the story for pretty obvious reasons later, and it stuck. That said, in its biblical context, I prefer the less camp common, but I think way more appropriate title of the lost son. Because in its context, this greatest hits story we hear Jesus tell today is actually the third movement in a three movement set of variations on a theme. The theme being God's grace. And by grace in this case, I mean God's unconditional love. And by God's unconditional love, in this case, I mean God's deepest passion. And by God's deepest passion, in this case, I mean God's love that is so loving that it hurts. It just kills him. That there are those who are lost, standing for whatever reason, far from God's embrace of love. By the way, it just kills him. Hang around for a few weeks. The first two movements in this suite are short. The first of which is known as the parable of the lost sheep. And a shepherd who, though he's got 99 other sheep, goes out to find and to save and to bring home the one who is lost. Telling the story, Jesus, in what may seem like kind of a throwaway line but isn't, says, and which of you wouldn't do the same? Well, let's be clear about that question. In seeking out the one who is lost in the wilderness, Jesus says the shepherd in the parable left the other 99 alone in the wilderness, and no shepherd ever would have done that. It would have been crazy. One of Jesus' points, apparently, right off the bat, being that there is so much love in God's grace that when it comes to the fullness of grace, God will do things nobody else would, even to the lengths of doing things that people call crazy. The second short movement in this suite of variations on the theme of grace is called the parable of the lost coin. And a woman who had nine more coins, but she tore the house apart till she found the one that was lost. And when she did, she called her neighbors over and said, come and celebrate with me. And when they came over, presumably the hors d'oeuvres and the beverages for the party actually cost more than the value of the coin that she lost in the first place. And so, of course, her accountant would have said that it's not worth it. It's throwing good money after bad, except, of course, we're not talking about accounting. We're talking about grace again. Grace, which apparently has this unaccountably misguided idea that one who is lost is worth everything. Oh, by the way, stay tuned. Which takes us to the third and longest and greatest hits movement in this suite of variations on a theme called grace, which now in context you could probably see why I prefer with others to call it the parable of the lost 
Son. Jesus composed this suite for an audience which included very vocal critics from all the big papers and magazines, critics who had widely panned his other works to date for the fact that he had composed so many of them for an audience of sinners. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were grumbling at the beginning of Luke 15, and so now to an audience that now included them, Jesus told these three stories, the third of which is that greatest hits of his story of a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Clear thing right off the bat, this younger son is a piece of work. He wants his inheritance, notice, his inheritance. And he's tired of waiting for his father to die in order to get it. So he says, Dad, I want what I want when I want it, so let's just skip the wait for the funeral. I want it now. Did I mention this younger son is a piece of work? As it turns out, is his father, who rather than saying, really, I don't think so, accommodates the presumptuous brat. He sells one of the three sections of land he owns free and clear, and he gives the money to the kid, which I don't know entirely what to make of. Except to observe that when the God we're dealing with is a God of grace, the world's sin, our sin, my sin, hasn't stopped God from being more abundantly generous than I could possibly deserve. The undeserving son then gets as far away from his dad as he can by journeying to a far country, at which point, unlike the shepherd in the first story, his father doesn't chase after him to find him and bring him home, which is a conversation for itself sometime, and a good conversation, and in some situations a really hard conversation that love needs to have. Talking about the conversation about the fact that sometimes people who are loved apparently nevertheless have to be allowed to leave and probably make some mistakes on their own to find out that home truly is home. Which is what the father in this parable does. He doesn't chase after his son. He waits for him, but he never locks the door. And I'm not talking about the door to the mudroom off the garage. I'm talking about the door to his heart. It's unlocked. It's actually wide open. As are the window's front drapes, through which again and again the Father stares and prays and hopes and prays and waits and prays while his youngest son does journey to that distant country where, says Jesus, he squandered his inheritance in dissolute living. The dissoluteness of which we are given zero details. We'll see later his older brother making assumptions about the exact details 
of his dissolute living, but those, I think, will actually tell us more about the older brother himself. Just as I think when we make judgmental assumptions about others, those judgments in all likelihood say more about us than them too. Moving on in the story, we discover that whatever exactly the kid was doing, he was doing more than he could afford. I assume uh, to fit in with people whose lifestyles he'd always wanted and just known that he deserved, but his money runs out. And when it is, does, his new friends walk out and things got difficult in a hurry and desperate to understand, soon after that, to understand how desperate. Remember that Jesus' audience was Jewish. Jews didn't ra raise pigs or eat pork. That was unclean, offensive to the holiness of God. How desperate did things get? This younger son now found himself hiring himself out to a citizen of that distant and apparently non-Jewish country who sent him out to his field to feed his pigs. And he was so hungry that the pig food looked good to him. At which point it says he came to himself. Which it's a little hard not to know what exactly what that means in this case, given that this is a character who has always been about every single thing coming to himself. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he's doing more than just feeling sorry for himself. He's actually feeling sorry for what he did. If you were here last week, remember that parable that said that sometimes God grows good things by fertilizing them and one fertilizer is manure? Well, here we are. As sitting with pigs, and coveting pig food, what grows now in all that fertilizer is the stem and then leaves and then finally even fruit of repentance. As he says to him, I'm going to die in all this manure. I got to go back to dad. And I know I've blown it as far as being his son ever again goes. But maybe if, if he knows I'm really and truly sorry, he'll take me back as one of his hired hands. Just to imagine what he'd say if he went back. And if his father actually led him close enough back to hear him say anything at all, that wouldn't be a given. Father, he pictures himself saying, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, treat me like one of your hired hands. Are those words and thoughts sincere? Is he really and truly repentant? Or just desperate and angling for an angle? Oh, guess what? It doesn't say. You want to know why? Because I think Jesus has no interest in fertilizing the propensity of religious people to think it is somehow their job to judge the sincerity or the religious of the religious and faith practices of other people. Are the words he, of his prepared speech sincere? Not only does it not say, but what it does seem to say is that it doesn't even seem to matter. 
because he never even got a chance to get his whole speech out of his mouth. Because through those open drapes on the front window, the minute his son crossed over that rise to the east end of the farm, his dad sees him and he recognizes the walk even before he recognizes the face and he jumps up and he hikes his robe up and he runs to his son, bare legs and knobby knees exposed for all to see. And in those days, who any who would have seen would have then said that the father was humiliating himself, making a fool of himself, running like that. Which, well, he probably was. But what are you gonna say? We're not talking about egos here or decorum either. We're talking about grace. Apparently, which is willing to be humiliated. Oh, by the way, stay around for a few weeks. His son didn't know what to think when he saw his father running his way, but as soon as dad was within earshot, he started his speech. Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but that's as far as he got. Because dad didn't even let him finish. And, and, and besides, what he did say, Dad didn't even hear. What with his pulse racing, I mean running, and gasping, and now bear-hugging his boy. And the son, now speechless, learned that this was a welcome home that wasn't going to be earned by anything, not even repentance. Dad then turned to some of his servants who'd, who'd seen him run and ran after him to see what was going on. And he said to them, my boy's home. It's time for a party. And the servants, on his orders, they fired up the grill and they made the baked beans and the potato salad. And they, they tossed the garden salad. They called the DJ to bring music and the bakery to bring a welcome home cake. And they twisted crepe paper streamers and they blew up balloons and they uncorked the wine and they tapped the cake. And the party was on and there was joy everywhere. Until the older boy came over that same east ridge after working all day. And he heard the party and he got closer and he saw the party. And he saw one of the servants and asked her about the party. And she said, your brother's back. Your daddy is so happy he gave everybody a day off to party. And remember how religious people grumbling because of the sinners Jesus was hanging around was the occasion for these three stories? Well, now we've come full circle as grumbling becomes part of the story. As peeved and pouting, the older brother refuses to go into the party. So dad goes out to him. He pleads with him. Son, he says, your brother's home. The older brother shakes his head in disgust. All these years I have worked like a slave for you, he says, and you never threw me a party, but this son of yours comes home. Notice not this brother of mine, this son of yours, no brother of mine. 
after throwing his money away, carousing around with prostitutes. Wait a minute, who said anything about prostitutes? Nobody said anything about prostitutes. Where'd that come from? Oh, that's right, judgmental assumptions that say more about the ones doing the judging than they do about the ones they're judging. When this carousing son of yours, he says, finally drags his broken, sorry butt home, oh, isn't this special? Let's throw a party for the little snot ray. You, he says to his father, are unfrickin' believable. And you can count me out. His dad says, son, I love you. Everything I have is yours. We had to rejoice and throw a party. Your brother was dead. He came back to life. He was lost. He's found. And that's the end of the story. Except, of course, it isn't, right? I mean, what happens next? Does the family get, get back together again or not? Jesus doesn't say. The reason is because this is one of those stories of his whose end isn't in the telling. The end of this story is actually in the response to it. Still is. But what response this story calls for depends on where exactly in this story, well, let's say you, for example, have maybe by now discovered that Jesus has been telling the story of you. Are you the younger son? Feeling distant from God? Far away, lost, wondering what in the world you've been thinking when you did what you did and went where you went? Then this story calls you to repent, to turn and return home, but to do so knowing the parables promise that, oh my goodness, is there ever a welcome waiting for you there? Or are you the older son, the responsible one, yes, but judgmental sometimes too, when you think of grace? Welcoming someone like that. Are you, in other words, this one who is in your own way lost and far from the Father because of all the time you've spent doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons? You know what? Then this parable calls you to repent, to return to the Father too by turning to the realization that obedience is good. And doing what is right is great. But our place at the table of the Father isn't about the level of our obedience. It's about the depth of the Father's love. Whether you are the younger brother or the older, in other words, we end this parable by returning re turning to the Father and to love and to grace that is amazing. And following grace alone all the way to the Father 
we then can turn to the Father's other children, all of them. Our brothers and sisters, all of them, worthy of the Father's love, just like us, not one of them. And we tell them, and we show them, and we celebrate with them. Grace that welcomes home and welcomes to the party, them too. Amen.